In today's podcast, we begin a larger discussion of the corruption of our society and its institutions. And we'll begin by discussing the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 064, podcast 64, and today we want to have a biblical conversation with you about this crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you as we apply God's word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper, we'll provide additional resources. In the meantime, let's get started. So I want to start today a little differently. Let me start out by reading some passages of Scripture, starting with Leviticus chapter 19, verses 15 and 16. And it says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your brother. I am the Lord. What that means is justice has to be blind, and there's no room for emotions getting in the way of the facts. And along such lines, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 18, 16, quoting the Old Testament, that when we're considering accusations against people, those accusations must be confirmed by the evidence presented before and by multiple witnesses. It's all about evidence, not sentiment, not emotion, not ideology. And here Jesus is referring to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 19. And here's what the Word of God says. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Well, there's a warning. You know, if you perjure yourself, if you lie about someone else, whatever the penalty they were facing should be your penalty. And this is what's so critical here, because there's a lot of emotion around this case, and it's really about the facts, not emotions. Facts are stubborn things, and no matter how much our passions or our emotions would like to state otherwise, they do not change the facts. That's what John Adams, President of the United States, said a long time ago when defending British soldiers from the colonists before he was president. It was about facts, not sentiment. And I have to say, speaking of sentiment, I was both puzzled and disappointed by the president's comments about how the verdict angered him. He said he was displeased with the verdict, though we should stand by the jury's decision. That's kind of self-contradictory, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like he's definitely missed some of the some of the facts, maybe that had come out, um, but is still trying to back up the judicial system. Uh, and I think some of the comments that he made seem to be made out of ignorance, because I think he even admitted that he didn't really watch the case. And for me, I did. I watched parts of it. I I didn't watch all of it because I have a job to do during the day normally. Um, but I I saw some parts of it, and I mean, there's witnesses that the prosecution called. And they were the ones who really made the case for the self-defense defense that Kyle Rittenhouse's lawyers had. Well, that's true. I mean, one example is uh, Gage 
Grosskretz, I can't ever pronounce his name, he was a star witness for the prosecution, and he ended up admitting that he advanced on Rittenhouse, who had been knocked to the ground by others, and when he pointed a gun at Rittenhouse's head, Rittenhouse shot him. I mean, there's just tons of video evidence. I mean, the other shooting victims alternately struck Rittenhouse in the head multiple times with a skateboard. Rosenbaum said he would kill him if he found him alone, and then it was Rosenbaum who lunged at him and tried to grab the barrel of his rifle. And these, this is all on film. It's all recorded. It was all testified to. And I mean, let's play Gage Grosenkret's testimony. Listen to this. He's one of the star witnesses for the prosecution, and he proves that Rittenhouse fired in self-defense. When you were standing three to five feet from him with your arms up in the air, he never fired, right? Correct. It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him, with your gun, now your hands down, pointed at him, that he fired, right? Correct. Now think about that. Here is the star witness for the prosecution admitting that after... Kyle Rittenhouse was kicked to the ground by one man, struck with a skateboard by another, and he shot, and that's where Rittenhouse shot one of these men. Then he advances on Rittenhouse, pulls a gun from his waistband, points it at his head, and then Rittenhouse shoots him. And you know, in the end, when you look at this trial, if you watch any amount of it, Rittenhouse was cleared on the testimony of at least two witnesses, plus the video evidence of him being attacked by multiple attackers intent on doing him great bodily harm. And one of them, Grosskreutz, was carrying his own weapon illegally. Yeah, and I think, you know, ultimately we look at this case and there's been so much made out of it. It's such, It's become such a controversy and almost... A lot of ways that it doesn't deserve to be. I mean, the facts, uh, the facts state what they state. But I think so many people have made so much, and maybe even more than they should have, about Kyle Rittenhouse and his victims. And, and here's that word "victim," which is an awkward word in this case. When you begin to examine the cast of characters among the victims, these people attacked him. I mean, how many people run down a guy with a rifle? And then there's Joseph Rosenbaum's criminal record. Rosenbaum was a registered sex offender. He was on the Wisconsin sex offender registry for a child molestation case. He had faced 11 charges in a case that landed him as a sex offender, and they were some, um, some of them were amended in a plea deal. But according to court records provided, Rosenbaum received 10 years in prison in 2002 for sexual contact with a minor. And then he was sentenced to two years and six months on top of that in the same incident. The day, of, the day that he died, he was in Wisconsin and had been released from a mental institution the day he was shot to death. Witnesses heard him tell Rittenhouse that he'd kill him if he ever got him alone. And then witnesses saw him lunge at Rittenhouse and attempt to grab the rifle. Now, who does that? Also, his prison record in Arizona reflects 40 violations. There were 40 violent attacks that he committed while he was being held in prison in Arizona. This was not some saint who was there to protest on behalf of the downtrodden. Consider Anthony Huber, who hit Rittenhouse over the head with a skateboard multiple times. Apparently, he wasn't afraid of Rittenhouse. He saw him with the gun. Who runs down a guy with a gun and attacks him? In this case, a guy with a criminal history. Court records in Wisconsin show that Huber was convicted of disorderly conduct 
as a domestic abuse repeater and was cited also for possessing, in that case, drug paraphernalia. He was also found guilty. Now listen to this. He was found guilty of felony strangulation and suffocation in the course of domestic abuse. He was also convicted of a case of false imprisonment with a dangerous weapon and domestic abuse. He had quite a rap sheet. Then there's Gage Grosskreutz. Grosskreutz was convicted of a felony that was later expunged from his record in a plea deal. He had a misdemeanor conviction of intoxicated use of a firearm for which he received probation in 2015. One of the reasons his uh, concealed carry permit was expired was probably because of the way he handled guns. Uh, other news reports indicate that his arrest record is much longer than you would normally find online, but through uh, a, a plea deal, he had some of the, these uh, matters expunged. In January 2021, after all of this, he was accused of second offense drunk driving, but the case, again, was dismissed with a plea deal. And so, you know, he's not who you think he is. Yeah, and I think, you know, as, as we talk about this corruption in society, of the society's institutions, and, and those things that, are, that we see, uh, I think one of the things that's really interesting with the, with the case of uh, this guy, Gage Grosskreutz, um, is, you know, you see him on TV, you see him testify, um, and they, they talk a lot about him as being the sole survivor uh, from from this incident, and really, he doesn't come across as that bad of a guy. It doesn't seem like you know he's any different than you or me. Well, if you watch the trial, there's a, there's some allusion to him being part of some Antifa-like group. Moreover, along those lines, he was detained and arrested for prowling in the area where the police in suburban Milwaukee. Uh, store their private personal vehicles, and he was videotaping these vehicles. And court records show that he was uh, found guilty of loitering, and he pleaded no contest, November 3rd, 2021. So, I mean, I want you to think of the timing of all this. Now, he had previously been detained for prowling in the same area and released. So what we're seeing here is that despite the popular media narrative, there's more to these so-called victims than meets the eye. Yeah, and I, and I think that's true, and I think that's where, you know, the importance of finding the facts out um, comes in. And, and during the, tr the trial, uh, Grossgroots even admitted during the testimony that his concealed carry permit was expired, so he shouldn't have even had a gun, uh, which is not the narrative that we hear. We hear that Rittenhouse shouldn't have had, needed the gun, uh, but he had his gun, and he stuck it in the waistband of his pants, and, and he he went to use it that night. Right. It begs the question. Everybody's asking, why did Rittenhouse bring a gun to this peaceful protest, which was actually a, a violent riot? But why did Grossgroots come to a peaceful protest with a concealed weapon, illegally concealed with an expired permit? There's all this talk about motives. Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the biggest talking points in this has been, you know, why would this 17-year-old boy take a gun across state lines and come to this this mostly peaceful protest or or however they wanted to um, describe it. And so they want to look at the motives and the intentions of of Rittenhouse in the media. But then when it comes to gross roots, uh, they, they want to put him up as this, uh, this sole survivor, this hero. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the first thing. This wasn't a peaceful protest. It was a riot where people were burning businesses, beating up people who tried to protect their businesses. And then, let's be fair, you have to wonder what Grossgroots was doing with an illegal firearm. And these other felons, these other people were there. I mean, these three guys were, in effect, 
criminals. And, you know, if you're a convicted felon, you shouldn't be at a riot. You know, in talking about what you said a moment ago, people on the media say, why did he drive 50 miles across the state line with this, with this AR-15? Well, the fact is, that's not true. Rittenhouse lives on the state line. You know, he lives on the state line between Illinois and Wisconsin. His grandparents and other family lived there in Kenosha. He got the rifle in Wisconsin, so it technically wasn't legal. He's got no criminal record. And people are just blowing this, his story up out of shape. Again, I think he was dumb to go. I think they were dumb to go. But there's no crime. It's not against the law to be dumb, to make stupid decisions. Otherwise, there'd be a lot more people in jail. But the fact is, no one has a constitutional right to violence, not the protesters or the rioters, not Rittenhouse, nor the so-called victims. But the reality is, all of them had the constitutional right to travel and be where they wanted to be. And so rather than trying to guess their motives, as so many people have done, almost exclusively with Rittenhouse and not the others, we can only weigh their actions as documented, as factually documented with all the video evidence and eyewitness testimony. And anyone watching the proceedings would wonder what the prosecution was thinking when it would call its witnesses and their witnesses, the prosecution witnesses, probably did the most damage to the prosecution's case and did the most to get Rittenhouse acquitted. you got to wonder, what were they thinking? Yeah, I uh, remember thinking that at many points uh, during the trial, as I watched some of the testimony unfold, it's it, it was really uh, seemed a miss to me as to what uh, the game plan was from the prosecution. I don't think they had a game plan. So what do you mean by that? Well, the fact is they charged Rittenhouse within 48 hours of the incident while most of Kenosha was still in flames. Indications are they did not do a thorough investigation or they wouldn't have called witnesses who completely destroyed their own case. Plus the fact usually when you, when you have a serious crime like this, it might take a week or so to really gather evidence and put together a case, review footage, things like that. But I think what they were doing was responding to public pressure and political pressure rather than the facts. Yeah, I mean, it seems that uh, going back to some of those verses that we read at the beginning, that uh, there was some partiality being shown. And clearly, uh, these prosecutors hadn't really done their homework. I mean, their own witnesses were the ones who were ruining their case for them. Yeah, you know, it's seeming it seems like no one in authority was thinking clearly. I mean, think of the authorities Think of the city government. Think of the local police who let the city burn, pretty much. Think of this district attorney who did not carefully investigate the matter before bringing charges. And then think of the president of the United States. He didn't even watch the trial, and yet he made those comments based on sentiments rather than evidence. Yeah, and he even had an ad uh, during the campaign that was— the overlay of, of Donald Trump being asked to denounce white supremacy and basically the voice behind it saying, oh, he he won't even denounce white supremacy. And then here comes a, a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse basically saying that Kyle, much like all of the other people in this ad, was just another white supremacist. Yeah. And, you know, even as a candidate, I mean, remember, this he was the vice president of the United States. He was a U.S. senator. He was a congressman. He should have known better. And what's more, the media should have known better. But this brings us back to our passages in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Matthew 18, 16, 
where we are not to condemn people without evidence, that there has to be multiple witnesses. And that's why our legal system is predicated on the presumption of innocence until someone is proven guilty beyond the shadow of a doubt, even if a president or the news media creates a false narrative. And speaking of a false narrative, let me play this clip uh, of, of what they call a media mashup before the trial even started. Listen to the words they use to describe Kyle Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante, arguably a domestic terrorist, picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, a guy who's deeply racist, went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest, looking to get in trouble. He did. He murdered a couple of people. Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid, just running around, shooting and killing protesters. You see the 17-year-old who was radicalized by Trumpism, took his AR-15 to Kenosha and became a killer. A white, Trump-supporting, MAGA-loving, uh, Blue Lives Matter social media uh, uh, partisan, 17 years old, picks up a gun, drives from one state to another with the intent to shoot people. So what we see here is their bias and their sentiments. But let's talk about facts. Rittenhouse didn't bring a gun across state lines like some of the media said. He didn't travel to a place he didn't belong because his family and grandparents lived in Kenosha. He's not a white supremacist. There's virtually no evidence of white supremacy. The prosecutors got his phone, searched his contacts. They, they, they searched his social media accounts. And if there was any hint of him being a white supremacist, they could have submitted evidence. But there wasn't any because he's not a white supremacist. He's just a young man with poor judgment. And you know this, when you look at the videos, the facts show a group of people chasing Kyle Rittenhouse down. One man jumps and kicks him in the face. Somebody, Huber, strikes him with a skateboard in the head and gets shot. Grosskreutz runs up, and, with, and then followed by a man with a large club, Grosskreutz draws a gun, points it at his head, and he gets shot. But bottom line is the facts support self-defense. Whether you like Kyle Rittenhouse or not, whether you thought he showed good judgment in being there or not. Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting things is in the entire case, the, the prosecution never directly even accused him of white supremacy, but you have this shoddy reporting, uh, and even in The Independent, uh, the, it's a UK newspaper, they claimed that Kyle Rittenhouse shot three black men. Right, this is it. See, it's the end justifies the mean. It's the narrative. It's emotion over facts. What we have here in the media narrative, what we have here in the conduct of some of our elected politicians elected to the highest offices in the land, is disregard for evidence, truth, facts, and the legal process in favor of a political agenda. And this speaks to the corruption of our institutions, starting with the news media, including the government, a district attorney bowing to political pressure and rushing to judgment without adequately investigating the evidence. And think about this. They were going to sentence him to prison for life, for life. And then you have a malicious witness like Gage Grosskreutz, who eventually must confess to the facts when confronted with the overwhelming video evidence that Kyle Rittenhouse shot him in self-defense. 
And we forget that this jury heard the whole case. They heard all the evidence. They had access to the evidence. And they sat there and listened as the prosecution witnesses demolished the prosecution's case. And these 12 men and women held up under public pressure, threats by mobs, and they acted on the facts according to the rule of law. Now, should all of these men have been there at the riot? Arguably, none should. The riots, rioters and the protesters, should they have been there? Absolutely not. Yeah, and I think it goes to that bigger question of why they were even there. And so then that takes us back to this Jacob, uh, to the story of the shooting of Jacob Blake. That's why the riots were going on there in Kenosha. And so you have to then look at, like, okay, well, who was Jacob Blake? Jacob Blake was a lifelong troublemaker and criminal. And there was a, a three-count criminal complaint filed against him because he, because he committed criminal trespass. He had engaged in domestic abuse. He, was, he had been charged with third-degree sexual assault because he abused his partner. And he was charged with disorderly conduct. And these are serious offenses. Uh, there are misdemeanors and felonies there. And on that fateful day when he was shot, he was driving a car that he had stolen. He had stolen uh, debit cards from his ex-girlfriend, and there had been two fraudulent ATM withdrawals for $500 each. The police pulled him over. He resisted arrest. They tased him. He continued to resist arrest. He had a knife. Even Wikipedia reports it this way. Let me read this to you from Wikipedia. On August 23rd, it's actually August 24th, I believe, 2020, Jacob S. Blake, a 29-year-old black man, was shot and seriously injured. Remember, he wasn't killed. Shot and seriously injured by police officers in Kenosha, Wisconsin. They shot Blake in the back four times and in the side three times when Blake opened the driver's door to his girlfriend's car and then began to turn toward the police officers. One of the police officers said he was about, he thought he was about to be stabbed since Blake was also carrying a knife. And earlier during the encounter, uh, Blake had been tasered by two officers, but they failed to restrain Blake. So if you watch the video, which I'm putting on the resource page, Blake <laughs> engaged in very dangerous behavior. He endangered three children in the back of the vehicle. He endangered himself. He endangered the police officers. And when they saw that knife and they saw him bend over and reach down, they shot him. And remember this, the shooting was heavily investigated by a police review panel and by the district attorney's office, and the officers were not charged because Blake's knife was on the floorboard where the officers saw it. And the fact of the matter is, later on, Blake admitted to having the knife. Yeah, and so basically at this point, there's really no need for a riot or a protest because what we saw was not police brutality or, or anything in, in that range. But there was a, a narrative that was being uh, that was being played up, and so you would you would basically say that nobody should have been there. Exactly, no one should have been there. Not the rioters burning large swaths of Kenosha, which they say now will never be rebuilt. Uh, the media should not have pushed a false narrative. This man was a small-time criminal. And he, would, he sexually assaulted his girlfriend against her will. He stole her car. And he was caught by law enforcement. He had a knife. He resisted arrest. They tried to restrain him physically. He would not cooperate. And when he seemed to be reaching to retrieve the knife, they shot him. And that's what happens. And within days, protests, then riots began 
over a criminal sex offender stealing a car, stealing ATM cards, resisting arrests, and then with a weapon nearby getting himself shot. And eventually, in a YouTube video, he even laments his actions and advises people not to live like he did, to get a job, to earn a living, and not to waste time or waste his life like he did. And yet here we are, all of these things blown out of proportion. All right. So as we start to wrap it up here, Keith, I think uh, it'd be a good time to summarize it all. I know we've gone from Kyle Rittenhouse to Jacob Blake. We've looked at these protesters, the rioters, um, the so-called victims uh, of Kyle Rittenhouse and all of those things. And we started off with those uh, two passages uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so maybe can you boil this all down and summarize it all for us? Well, you know what? In the end, uh, the wages of sin is death. That's it. You have a fallen world filled with fallen people who do unwise things. They make terrible decisions, and they suffer the consequences. And in this case, people lost their lives. And it's tragic on nearly every level. But in the end, it's about corruption. It's about a corrupted political class who let a city burn for some misguided reason and political agenda. It's about a corrupt media who time and time again misrepresented the facts and fanned the flames of discord, leading to riots and leading to the deaths of people. And that's just for starters. It's also, I guess, about the rule of law, the rule of law over mob rule. Like him or not, Rittenhouse did act in self-defense, watch the trial videos, even the testimony of prosecution witnesses. It's also about a nation hopelessly divided and exploited by corrupt activists and a corrupt media and a corrupt and incompetent political class. And in the end, I suppose it's all about the need for the Savior, for Christ to return, because human beings will not be able to put this all back together again. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like additional resources, uh, you can go to www.gracetoliveradio.org and hit the resource button. If you have questions, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at keith at hillside.org. If you'd like to learn more about Hillside Church, visit us online at www.hillside.org. We'd love to invite you to our uh, Christmas concert on December 10th. Uh, You can find that on the website. We'd love to invite you also to our Christmas Eve service. You guessed it on Christmas Eve. In the meantime, whatever your podcast platform, give us a good rating, share us with your friends, help us to expand the ministry. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God keep you.